The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org.
given this candy uh, because of how sweet they were. And for them, once it's taken away, uh, their world is over. Right? They freak out. They punt those buckets. They say they're going for full end and hungry. They say, I don't love you anymore, right? And something they love so much that was a gift from the first place is taken away. Well, isn't that rough? And we see that at the end of this story of Jonah here in chapter 1. That's when Jesus says these words. And in these uh, few verses that are in, uh, we'll walk through them, but we see these two main characters, God and Jonah. And we see emotions from these two main characters. God is full of compassion. And Jonah is filled with anger. And in these two emotions, we see how well God embraces this one rebellious, uh, diva-like prophet and welcomes him and walks with him. We see three things this morning. We see, one, the revealing character of anger, uh, two, a grieving God, and three, we see the pivotal look like in your season of life, station of life, or location. Uh, if you're a parent, you want your children uh, to be good. You want them to be uh, good people, moral, upright citizens. Uh, you want them to be a joy to you and the people around you. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, if you're a salesman, you want to ink the, the deal with many zeros. Uh, if you're a doctor, you want to have this pioneering discovery and get published in a journal. sermon in English, five-word sermon in Hebrew, and he said it, and the whole city just turned 180, repented. That's uh, pretty much like the, the greatest thing that could ever happen. If this happened to me right now, I would just, I would stop what I'm doing forever, right? This is, this is uh, you've arrived at who God is. So his whole entire uh, city has repented at his sermon. Really, 
really address this week as we see God enter into this counseling mode with this uh, rebellious prophet. Uh, His enemy has been saved and repented, and God God has shown mercy to him. Verses uh, 5 through 8, we see, say, Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east of the city, and made a, a zoo for himself there. And he sat under the shade so that he should see what had become of him. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of it. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was scorched. And he asked that he might die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah's anger is compounding. It's something that's building up building up, and he goes outside of the city and he just repented to his enemies and he pretty much focuses and he sees, God, are you actually going to destroy this city? I know you just um, had them repent, but are you going to destroy this place that I hate and apparently you like? And in his tailgate, in his waiting, God sends this leafy plant to go over him and give him shade. And then God uh, also the next day, after giving him the shade, sends a worm to attack him. This oscillation, this uh, bipolar uh, swing from utter joy to utter discomfort that Jonah feels. And his anger, it says, is about the plant, but we should know it's not about the plant. His anger is not about this leafy plant that came up. His anger is about the one who could save the city. To save the city of his enemies, of anger is not simply this plague that is on some others and not on himself. Right? It's not like, well, you have red hair so you're angry, or you have black hair so you're not angry. It's not just simple, some have it, some don't. Anger is this emotion that has a high location. It's a small state. And and, an emotion of anger flares up and is inflamed when a love so when, when you love something and that love is threatened by something, you will get angry. If you drive in a neighborhood and you see a family walking with children, and you're going a little too fast or you're going too slow, um, you will see the mother or father mouth like with much emotion, go down, and then pump the arms, and, and you, uh, you feel bad. Um, but you can feel the angst and the anger of through the slow down and through the arm something they love. They love, these parents love their children. They love the safety and the welfare of their children. And your speed in your car is threatening that safety and that welfare. Anger comes up and it's a high location. And it arises when some love is threatened. When a love of ours is threatened. For Jonah, he is angry because a love has been threatened, right? His love of governing and, and giving out has power over him. 
God's mercy. He wants to be the one to decide who gets mercy, right? He has been given mercy as a prophet of the Israelite people. And God says, you've been given mercy especially his enemies. And because he loves them so much, he will send them to you. And actually, he says he wants to die because that love for them is so bitter to him. He does not get angry. He gets angry to the point of death. His anger and his self-absorption and his completing that bargain for his captors really bring that to real life. Ed Welch wrote a book. It was called A Small Book About a Big Problem. It's about anger, and he says this. He said, what makes us so important that life must go according to our plans? We cannot script the events in our lives, and life throws us unexpected troubles and arrogances and schemes at times. Because his or her keenly right has been violated. So the object of Jonah's anger is not a worm, it's not a plant, it's kind of, but not really even the Ninevites. Jonah's anger is at God because God is not coming back to him. He's not simply fitting in Jonah's pocket and doing what Jonah wants him to do as if Jonah's a puppeteer. He, Jonah, has had this kingly right of governing God's mercy and judgment violated because of that someone who definitely does struggle with anger, I can say, I understand how you feel. It may not be the same way, but I understand and can empathize with just feeling angry at love that's been broken. Just feeling angry at a keenly right that I self-impose upon myself and give myself to be violated. In Jonah's case, he wants to die for it. Where anger in my society is a consuming bottom says to be rash and nasty thoughts and anxiety and frenzy, such as what does anger do to you and where does it lead you? Jonah is asked by God patiently and in a counseling and loving way, will you do well for me to die? Where do you need to ask yourself that very important question? For Jonah, death sounded better than for his enemies Second, we see this God who grieves. Jonah's obviously angry. We talked about that. But next, we see God's grief. I think most of us can easily visualize God who grieves in, in a way, these last few verses are the heart and message of the book. That's not a weird pop up for you. But this is the message of the book in a way. says in verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said to Jonah, do you pity the fish which you did not make? Nor did you make it grow which came up into being in a night and perished in a day. Should I not pity Nineveh and that great city? Since there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know Also, what have I done? 
So to understand uh, this compassion of God's coming over ourselves three questions. First, what does God delight in? What does God delight in? In Genesis 1, Moses is writing to the Israelites saying, this is what you must do. This is who the God, the God you follow is like. This is who he is. And he's telling them these stories in the days of creation, in Genesis 1 and 2, and he says, days 1, 2, 3, and 4, sixth day, he makes human beings. And he says, God says, good, it's good, man. Day of rest. And on the seventh day, the next day, he rests. Now, that, that, that's something you probably already know. But what's the beautiful thing about that? God said, good, 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 multiple times. He says, very good. And then he just rests for three days. He rests after he said, very good, because his creation is creation is complete because he and his people are in his creation together. That's the creation. That's the very thing he delights in. He loves. He loves, he God loves when he and his creation together. That's what God loves. God loves to be in his very delight. He built his temple and his creation is there. So if that's what God loves, what grieves God? said, you painted the plant on which you did not labor, nor did it make it grow. It came into, into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there is more than 120,000 people who have never been born, nor yet have their right to be born, except for one who has to live in flesh In these two verses, the word pity, for us, pity makes us think of the superior, inferior
Jesus is saying, you don't know. Here's who God is like. And he tells the story of a uh, popular story of the uh, story of the parable of the prodigal son. And he tells the story of two sons. The father has two sons. One son does everything he's supposed to do. He's obedient. Uh, he does what he's told. The other son, the younger brother, says, uh, I want my inheritance back. Jesus is saying, I understand. You are better to me dead than alive. So the father says, here's your inheritance. He takes it. He goes to a foreign land, squanders it. Then what? He starts working uh, as a hired hand, uh, gives pig slop to pigs to eat. He's eating this pig slop, and in that despair, he thinks, wait a second, my father has to go back and he says, uh, I'm going to read this, it's so wonderful. He says, in Luke 15, as the son is going back to his father, he says, but while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the feasting started. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he was uh, was back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But you have come, you will be happy to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead Disgusted when mercy was freely and scandalously misused. For Jonah, he's grieved when this plant is taken away, but he's grieved when the city is saved. And God is grieved when the city is not saved to the point that he's moved to compassion, essentially kills the fattened calf and celebrates. Pharisees and 
uh, to drive, this is who God is. God delights in being with his people, and it grieves him when he's not with his people. Therefore, he does something about this. It grieves him, it pains him so much, he does something about it. And that's our last point of the perfect prophet. The perfect prophet. In Luke 23, the narrative of the crucifixion of Jesus. When he came to Luke 4, Jesus was tried and falsely condemned and is sentenced to death. And it says in Luke 23, two other men, both criminals, also led place in the scroll, they crucified Jesus along with other criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Jonah goes outside of the city in anger. Jesus goes outside of the city with another message. Jonah looks back on Nineveh with hate and contempt. Jesus looks upon the city and his crucifixion and says, looks upon this city he's dying for with love and compassion, knowing his death serves a purpose as he's outside of the city. To live, to die, outside of the city, to give scandalous, promiscuous, liberal worship to the Lord of Israel. That's what he is about. Jonah was tempted to do wicked things. This greater Jonah. B.B. Warfield is a, a famous theologian. He was a Princeton in the 1800s. And he wrote this amazing essay, and it's titled The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And in this, he writes of every instance in the Gospels where Jesus felt emotion. And he says, by far, the most common thing Jesus felt and said was this. often is he was moved with compassion. God grieves because of our weaknesses. Our sadness makes him sad. Our pain leaves him pained. Tim Keller says, uh, Jonah went outside the city hoping to witness the city's condemnation. Jesus went out of the city because he loved to accomplish his salvation. But why is this good news? So that in our doubt, and in our anger, and in our grief, and in our guilt, and our shame, Jesus comes to us and says, I'm moved with compassion. The emotion I feel when I see you, uh, longs to be with you, the cross says something about me. service here in this room, and also uh, with people here in Florida, uh, my sister-in-law said uh, the same line. She said, when she found the news out, uh, she was moved with emotion. 